Hi, this is Stephanie, the host of the Empower Your Life podcast. And last week we had a fantastic event and we're actually going to share this event um, as our next podcast because um, it's information that really needs to be to, to be out there. So we did a women's health event and it was all on leaking, whether it's like leaking with exercise, coughing, laughing, um, really kind of anything that is creating kind of leaking. Um, that was one of the topics that we talked about as well as prolapse. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and this is why we do th th these types of education, because oftentimes you go and talk to the doctor and the first thing they're going to give you is here, do Kegels. And in this talk, we're going to talk about why Kegels is not the solution. And we've had other doctors say, well, there's nothing you can really do. Here's some pads, or you're going to have to have surgery or deal with it as long as you can. And eventually we're just going to have to take out your um, uterus or, or insert whatever, you know, the body part that they want to take out. So it's something that is not necessary. And there's a lot of things that we can do without even going down these paths to really get your life back to doing the things that you want to be able to do without these embarrassing moments or these feeling like you have body parts falling out of you. So when we did this talk, one of the um, people that actually joined us, she literally had come in and wanted to do a, um, a kind of what we call discovery visit, kind of pelvic floor assessments, just a, a quick, you know, 30 minutes, sit down, have a conversation so we can understand, you know, you better what's going on. And then we can kind of talk about, these are the things that we would look at. Not really sure what would happen or what's going on with you specifically. That's when the evaluation will come into play, but these are the things that we would look at. And then just kind of answering all their questions. Well, she decided she was going to go somewhere else and, um, and she did. And I was really fearful because if you go to anyone that does pelvic floor, um, it's really hard to use your insurance. And the reason why is because you really need to be in a room by yourself. Um, and you really have got to spend time with um, these clients. You can't just do this in a 20 minute, really quick consult um, and then go and treat some other patients and then coming back in, here's some exercises for you to do. If you have a place that's like that, you're not going to get the care. You're not going to get the results that you need and not all physical therapy is the same. And so we talked about, you know, a lot of the things that you'll hear in this next uh, um, podcast and specifically how Kegels doesn't help. And she got on at the very end and she was like, um, yeah, so I went to this other place and that's all they've given me is Kegels. <laughs> and we're like, yeah. And she was going on to tell us like, yeah, they say my pelvic floor is tight. And I'm like, well, it doesn't even make sense to do Kegels. Cause why are you going to exercise something that is already tight? That would be like, my hamstring is so tight. Now I'm just going to crank on it and do a lot of exercises which is just going to tighten things up even more, which is one of the reasons why Kegels is not the exercise. There's so many things you can do besides Kegels to, um, to help with the pelvic floor. And so she'd already spent two months with them. And I'm like, look at the time and the money that was wasted doing that versus coming to someone that actually really knows what they're doing. And that's kind of the conversation that we have. And now she's on the schedule. So if this is something that you've heard, or, you know, someone that has had these issues, whether it's prolapse or, or leaking, please share this podcast with them because it really could change their, their life. I mean, the comments that we got back from it was, this was fantastic. 
I feel so empowered. I have so much more education that now I can make a better decision about what I want to do and about going back to my doctor and talking about through things or coming in and seeing us and talking through things as well. They're going to be better educated to take in the information and go, no, this is not what I want to do. I'd rather try some of these things first. So without further ado, let's get to this podcast. It is a fantastic one. It is Natalie going in and talking about um, some of the things that you can do to start getting some results now on um, leaking as well as prolapse. This is the Empower Your Life podcast, where you can find some of the best health and life tips to keep you active and living life without having to go through surgeries, procedures, and medications. We want to give you hope that it is possible as the body has an amazing ability to heal if we give it the right environment. Stay tuned to the end of this podcast to hear a very special offer. Without a further ado, let's get started. So I'm so excited about this event um, that we're doing with Natalie. She is our public floor specialist, but um, you know, anytime you know, I just get, get so frustrated with our healthcare system, um, because we often like to treat symptoms and let's just do this and let's do that. And we don't really get down to kind of like really what's going to take care of, of problems. And this happens from, you know, orthopedic issues, but it definitely happens when it comes to women's health. And some of the information that you're given is absolutely crazy from if you're leaking, that's just what happens as you get older, or that's just what happens as, um, you um, have have babies like that's that's what you're being told here just use pads for the rest of your life um these are common things that you hear to prolapse and just taking body parts out that there's a reason why these body parts are in and is there another solution that actually might actually be better um to to solving some of the problems that people have where they feel like their um uterus is kind of falling out out of them so these are some of the things that we're going to be talking about and uh first of all just introduce myself i'm stephanie um, I've been a physical therapist for over 20 years, which is crazy. It seems like it was just yesterday that I got out of school. But um, one of the biggest things for me, I've been in the healthcare systems um, before, like so many times with so many different issues. And um, I know as you get older, it is so frustrating. Um, I can remember a doctor telling me, asking them, I was having some issues where when my dad passed away, um, my hormones like completely crashed. And I literally was telling him the story of like, yeah, that I was totally fine here. And then my dad passed away and three weeks later, all this was happening. And he literally asked my age and said, well, that's just what happens as you get older. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Um, and these are common things that we hear all the time from, from the physicians. So I totally get it when it comes to this. And it was one of the things that really drove me to want to find answers to, to everything and anything so that I can help, um, our patients um, in so many different ways to, even if it's not something that I can actually help someone with, but getting people to the right people so that they don't have to go down um, a lot of these, um, you know, frustrations that we have in our, in our healthcare system. So Natalie, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes. Hi. So my name is Natalie. Um, 
And I uh, went to Texas Women's University for a physical therapy school here in Dallas. Um, and it was there that I learned about pelvic floor physical therapy. And honestly, it is not something that I had originally thought that I was going to want to go into. If I'm being totally honest, we I remember having a course um, or a, a lesson rather on the pelvic floor. And I, I said, I had to put my, my finger where now, like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, that's okay. Um, but it was actually during, um, uh, my orthopedic rotation, um, at a clinic that I was exposed to pelvic floor physical therapy and actually got to sit in on an evaluation, um, and just see, what pelvic floor PT looked like and what it can offer to our patients. Um, especially because like Stephanie said, like the lack of education and resources that people have when it comes to pelvic floor dysfunction is honestly astounding to me. Um, and even talking to, um, you know, like friends about this and even like my mom about this and just, all these women, they're telling me like, oh no, I've just been told to do Kegels for, you know, my stress incontinence and for prolapse and whatever. And, um, after that rotation, I actually figured out that I wanted to incorporate pelvic floor in my practice and that I wanted to focus on that with orthopedics. Um, and with that being said, I actually went and did my last rotation for pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, at a place called Genesis PT and wellness, they only focus on pelvic floor, um, but they look at it from an orthopedic perspective because it's all connected. Right. Um, and so through that, I figured out that I wanted to do pelvic floor. And so I actually took a pelvic floor like lab, um, and course, um, through alcove education to just further my knowledge. Um, and then I also took a, a course through, um, Genesis PT and wellness, the founder of that company actually created it. It's called how to treat the pelvic floor without Kegels. And I'll go into why that is later in this presentation. Um, but yes, everything, everything that I was exposed to, I just knew, okay, our healthcare system is so reactive rather than proactive and doesn't give us the resources that we need. And so I hope that with this talk, um, we can kind of help um, educate you more on what you need and essentially just help like be the change, right? And just be the catalyst for changing the healthcare system and all the flaws that we found in our practice. Yeah, so some of the things that we're gonna learn today is how to take care of leaking, um, like when you run, jump, sneeze, cough, the common things that we um, typically happen um, if leaking happens, um, also how to solve prolapse naturally. We're going to go into like why surgery and testing doesn't always help, um, to get to the source of the problem and why Kegel exercises are not the answer. And then what other healthcare providers miss in treating, um, some of these conditions. So some of the biggest things, and this is what's always so frustrating to me, um, because it, it's, it happens in, in all aspects of our, of our life when we go to doctors. Um, it's, it's common that things get just said, like it just happens as you get older. I mean, that ha that's like the most common answer that you get 
um, no matter what you do when you go to a doctor, oh, that's just what happens. You're just gonna have to live with it. Um, and it's very common with this as well. Um, they're also, you know, when you when we hear stuff like this from doctors, doctors are telling your parents, doctors are tell, telling your friends. So when you go and you're trying to get some some information, education from even your friends or family, they're telling you the same thing because this is just the only thing that they've learned. Um, other things that, that are common things that you hear is this is just what happens after you have kids. Um, and it's not true. I mean, like you can have prolapse and, and leaking, even if you don't have kids. Um, but it definitely can happen because of that. But there's so many things that we can do to um, help you guys get back to feeling great. Um, when you're finished, I mean, we literally had someone say this um, to us that when the doctor said to them, um, they were having some leaking issues and things. And they said, well, when you finish having kids, then we can address that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? No, we can address it now. Um, Kegel exercises fix everything. I mean, that's, we've had patients that literally like um, were given a sheet of paper um, that said, these are the Kegel exercises and we want you to do them five times a day. And, and that was their solution to, um, wow. to um, fixing everything. Um, also, if you just go and Google it, if you Google anything, the, the only thing that pops up besides all of the surgeries and procedures and, and different things is, is Kegel exercises. Like they don't talk about women's health or um, pelvic floor physical therapy. It goes into Kegel exercises, almost everything that you look at. A lot of times too, testing leads us down to the path of frustration, especially if doctors don't um, use it like in a, in a critical thinking way. Um, and strengthening your core muscles with Pilates and yoga will definitely help, but sometimes it's, um, something that needs, you know, sometimes it's, it's the balance of things that maybe not might be off that def, that, uh, Natalie is going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. All right. So with that being said, um, I just wanted to start off with a little bit of an anatomy lesson here, um, and kind of go into what the pelvic floor actually is. Um, and so what it is, is actually three layers of muscles that sit in and around your pelvis, um, which actually include your hip rotator muscles and also some of your glute muscles. Um, and so what the pelvic floor is responsible for is for helping us with our bowel and bladder function, also our sexual function, and also supporting our pelvic organs. All right. And another thing when it comes to um, the pelvic floor is that it never works in isolation, right? So with that being said, we need to incorporate a couple more pieces. So I'm sure all of y'all have heard of the term, the core and like, oh, I need to strengthen my core and all the things, right? Especially like if you ever have back pain or anything like that, they always say, oh, we just need to strengthen your core. Here's some core exercises. The thing is, is that the core is actually made up of a multitude of things. It's not just your six pack abs that you think of whenever you hear the word core. Um, so what the core is actually made of is yes, your six pack abs, but also two other, um, layers of abdominal muscles. And so there's actually this one muscle that is deep to that six pack abs called your transverse abdominus muscle. And so if you look on the slide, it's actually that top right picture. It kind of acts like your own personal corset that wraps around from your spine and wraps all the way to the front of your belly button. And so that's part of your core, but also your pelvic floor muscles are a part of your core 
your core as well. So we have the abdominal muscles, we have the pelvic floor muscles. We also have our back muscles that help with um, um, making up the core, as well as your diaphragm muscle. Your diaphragm muscle is actually that dome-shaped muscle. If you see at that top right picture, um, right at the very top, it's that dome-shaped muscle that's actually responsible for helping us breathe. And so all four of these pieces work together in unison and coordination um, to essentially help us manage the intra-abdominal pressures that go on like throughout the day, depending on what we're doing. Um, and so I always kind of explain to my patients that it's kind of like a soda can, okay? These four groups of muscles are responsible for managing that intra-abdominal pressure. So what should happen is when we properly inhale, as in like diaphragmatic breathe, what should happen is that our diaphragm and our pelvic floor should move down towards our feet as we inhale. And then as we exhale, it should move back up towards our head. Okay. And so what can happen is if we aren't properly breathing, because Let's be honest, like I've had so many patients and even myself included where like we think we know how to breathe, but we actually aren't breathing at all. And so we're breathing very shallowly or we're breathing through our chest. And so what can happen with that is that we're not getting that full range of motion of our diaphragm or our pelvic floor. And so that we will find out as I continue talking can actually contribute to our pelvic floor dysfunction because over time, if you don't use something, you lose it. And so that pelvic floor range of motion becomes decreased if we're not using it. Um, and then when it comes to our, our abdominals, again, a big portion with that is having it act coordinated with our breathing so that we can make sure that that pressure that um, comes into our abdomen doesn't go down and in towards our pelvic floor, causing like more pressure that it can't handle, but rather that it goes up and out of our system. So that way we don't run into problems like incontinence or prolapse. Okay. So the first thing we're going to talk about is incontinence and what that, what that is. So that is a medical term for leaking, right? And so it can apply to urine, feces, or even gas. And so there are different types of incontinence. There's stress incontinence, which is just the involuntary loss of urine with a change in intra-abdominal pressure, whether that's sneezing, coughing, laughing, or running or jumping. Um, then there's also urge incontinence. Now, urge incontinence is actually a loss of urine immediately preceded by a sudden urge to urinate. So like, let's say I just walk into my house and I'm turning the key to get into my door. And then that's when I have this sudden urge, like, oh my gosh, I need to make it to the bathroom right now where I'm going to pee on myself. Um, and then there's also mixed incontinence where it's a combination of both of those two. And so there are different risk factors for it, but it includes your age, whether or not you've been pregnant or if you are pregnant, um, childbirth, and then also going through menopause or having a hysterectomy um, and even obesity. And so the causes of incontinence is multifactorial. Um, and so some of those are kind of like the poor pressure management that I was mentioning earlier, um, even poor posture and positioning too. Um, 
and then lack of core coordination, pelvic floor tension, which we'll talk more about here in a bit, um, poor force absorption, and then a combination of all of the above. So what can we do about that, right? When it comes to urge incontinence, there is a disconnect between our brain and our bladder. So typically what happens is as our bladder fills up with fluid, you know, it should send a, a signal to our brain when it's about 50% full. However, that should be a subconscious signal. It's more of like, you're not even aware of it, but the brain is told like, okay, it's getting full. We still have plenty of time though, but just FYI brain, like we'll need to empty soon. However, what can happen is that whenever we are suffering from urge incontinence, it's actually because that signal that should be subconscious is actually conscious. So then we're thinking, oh, okay, I'm my bladder's full. I need to go to the bathroom. When in reality, it's only 50% full. And so that's why you're feeling that sudden urge of like, oh my gosh, I have to make it to the bathroom right now. Um, so the good news is that our bladder is very trainable, okay? And so- there are different techniques that we can do to help suppress the, that urge to urinate. And so some of those are just calmly making your way to the bathroom, right? We want to train the bladder of like, okay, we can calmly set down whatever it is that we're doing and walk to the bathroom without urinating. Um, also drinking water throughout the day versus just like chugging it in the morning and then not drinking it you know, during the day and then chugging some like right before bed. Um, the reason why you want to drink water throughout the day is actually because our bladder, um, our urine in our bladder can actually be a bladder irritant if it's very concentrated. And so that's why it's very important to be drinking water throughout the day because the water actually acts to dilute your urine so that then your bladder doesn't feel that irritation and send signals to your brain of like, ah, oh, we need to get this out when in reality you don't, you just need to be drinking water. Um, another one is diaphragmatic breathing. Um, again, this is to just stimulate that nervous system and that vagus nerve of just like calming the nervous system down. Um, and then also performing 15 calf raises. Um, I loved learning this. Um, so your calf, your calf muscles are actually innervated by the same nerve that innervates your bladder. Um, so by stimulating your calf muscles, it's actually stimulating your bladder of just like relaxing it and calming everything down. Um, and then another thing too, is just decreasing, um, any bladder irritants that you're drinking throughout the day. So like coffee can be a bladder irritant tea. Um, so minimizing those or just following it up with a lot of water afterwards. Um, and then what the knack is. So the knack is actually, um, this reflex that automatically occurs when there is a sudden pressure change. Um, so it's basically like a strong involuntary pelvic floor contraction. Um, and so that's something as a pelvic floor therapist that I look at, um, during an evaluation to make sure that it's present because sometimes what can actually happen with pelvic floor dysfunction is that this knack, rather than helping the pelvic floor contract whenever there is that change in intra abdominal pressure, like when you cough, it's actually 
paradoxical, meaning your pelvic floor actually descends down towards your feet. And that's actually not what we want because that can contribute to leaking. Um, so just making sure that the knack is intact during an evaluation is always something that I look for. All right. And then as far as bladder habits, um, so what is normal um, and the goal throughout the day is to be voiding every two to three hours. Um, you also want to be voiding six to seven times per day um, and voiding about zero to one time per night. Um, and so if it's any like sooner than that, right. Then that's a sign of like, okay, we need to address pelvic floor or something because something's going on and it's not working the way that it should be. Um, and then as far as when you're actually going to the bathroom, a good sign that, you know, that you were supposed to go to the bathroom to pee is to be able to count how long you're peeing for. So it should be lasting for about like six to 10 seconds. Um, if it's not lasting that long, that's a sign of like, okay, I had this urgency, but I actually could have waited longer. Right. And so again, that comes back into like the training of the bladder of like, okay, if I didn't reach that six to 10 seconds next time, I'm going to try to do 15 calf raises before trying to go to the bathroom and just see if that alleviates the urge so that you can continue on throughout your day. Um, another good recommendation that I always tell all my patients is to be drinking about half of your body weight in ounces, um, again, just throughout the day so that your urine is being diluted. So it's not serving as a bladder irritant. Um, another thing I tell my patients do not urinate while you're in the shower. Um, so why, why do I say that? Um, Whenever you're urinating and you're, you're sitting down on the toilet, your pelvic floor muscles should actually relax in order for you to urinate. However, whenever we're standing, what's the function of our pelvic floor? One of the functions is to su support our pelvic organs, right? So while we're standing, our pelvic floor is contracting to help stabilize yourself. So if you're standing and then going to the bathroom and like peeing, what you're essentially training your body to do is say, oh, okay, it's okay for me to be urinating while I'm standing. And so that's not what we want to do, right? Um, and then another thing is not pushing to start. Because again, pushing is actually causing a pelvic floor contraction. But again, Whenever we're going to the bathroom, your pelvic floor muscles should be relaxing to allow that urine to come out. All right. And moving on to prolapse. So what that is, it's a descent of a pelvic organ into or outside of the vaginal canal or anus. And so there are different types. So there's a cystocele, which is a prolapse of the bladder into the vagina, um, there's a urethroceal, which is a prolapse of the urethra. Um, and then there's a uterine prolapse. Um, there's also a vaginal fault prolapse, which is actually the prolapse of the vagina itself. Um, there's an enteroceal, which is the prolapse of the small bowel. And then the rectoceal, which is um, the prolapse of the rectum. 
And so symptoms um, of a prolapse include vaginal bulging, a feeling of like pelvic pressure or heaviness, or even like if you can. Oh gosh. And I would be glad to answer any questions you may have. Thank you for calling and have a good day. We could mute. Oh, let me get. Sorry. It's okay. Hey, Marsha, would you, I'm sorry, would you mind um, muting your? Okay. Thank you so much. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, But yeah, so imagine it's almost kind of like if you um feel that pressure, like, like heaviness, um, kind of like something's falling out almost. Um, you can also experience pelvic pain, um, or urinary or fecal incontinence. Um, and so it will also just cause an altercation in your daily activities, your sexual function and your quality of life, and can also cause low back pain. Um, and so pelvic pelvic floor physical therapy, um, plays a big role in the conservative management of your prolapse. Okay. All right. And so before I actually dive into this, um, slide, I also wanted to add when it comes to prolapse, there are different grades of prolapse, right? So there's grade one, two, and three. And so, um, that you get that grade dependent on how far out the organ is actually hanging out of the vaginal canal. Um, so when it comes to your grades, the thing is, is that the grade severity doesn't always equal the severity of the symptoms. So for instance, I could have a patient who has a grade three where like the bladder, for instance, is hanging out more severely, right, than a grade one. And they don't have as bad of symptoms compared to another patient of mine who does have a prolapse of a bladder, but is only a grade one. And so it's still like in the in inside um, the abdominal cavity. Um, but they're feeling all the symptoms in the world, right? And so why do I say that? I say that because pelvic floor physical therapy, it's not going to be able to change the grade level of your prolapse, but what it will be able to do is help alleviate your symptoms. Um, so I just wanted to make that clarification. Um, but so how do we eliminate this issue? Right? So the first thing that we do, um, is an exam and evaluation. And so we always take a holistic approach to treating the pelvic floor. Um, and that involves a lot more than just an internal pelvic floor exam. Um, and then after the full evaluation, we create a specialized program personalized for you to allow you to perform regular and recreational activities without experiencing your pelvic floor dysfunction. And I will say it loud and proud without Kegels. Um, and so we'll go into why that is. Okay. So why no Kegels? For starters, um, when it comes to your pelvic floor, your pelvic floor can be hypertonic or hypotonic. And what that means is a hypertonic pelvic floor means that it's overactive. And so it can actually just as often, if not more often, be the cause of pelvic floor dysfunction than as a hypotonic or underactive pelvic floor. And so again, like, 
an example, like women after childbirth are told that it created a loose pelvic floor and that they just need to like do Kegels to strengthen their pelvis. Right. But that's not always the case. Um, and so tensing an already tense pelvic floor won't fix these issues and will likely make them worse. Um, and so I also just kind of want to get into the history of Kegels and where it came from. It was actually created by a doctor with the last name, Dr. Kegel in the 1940s. And the whole idea was that you would do pelvic floor contractions to strengthen a weak pelvic floor. However, just based on what I said, a weak pelvic floor isn't the only cause of pelvic floor dysfunction. In fact, your pelvic floor could be overactive as in like your pelvic floor muscles don't know how to relax. So if that's the case, doing Kegels repeatedly throughout the day will actually make those symptoms worse rather than alleviate them. Um, another reason why Kegels are not the answer is because they work in isolation, right? They just tell you, okay, just voluntarily contract that pelvic floor muscle, right? But the problem and kind of what we touched on earlier is the fact that the pelvic floor does not work in isolation. It works in unison with our diaphragm, with our abdominal muscles and work with our back muscles. Um, so I always use this example of like thinking about extending your leg out in front of you and flexing your quad and then flexing it fast and rep repeatedly 20 times and then flexing it as hard as you can for 10 times. And so after you do that, like, do you think that's going to make you be able to squat more? Like it, it, no, it won't. Right. Cause it's not functional and it's not, it's not working in unison with the rest of the muscles in your body. So another reason why we don't prescribe Kegels is because again, Kegels are a voluntary, um, pelvic floor contraction, but the thing is, is that the pelvic floor works subconsciously, either by anticipation, uh, reactive or responsive. And so continuously training your pelvic floor with voluntary, conscious and intentional contractions is not a solution, but it's actually a lifelong prescription that doesn't help your pelvic floor when you need it. When you need it, like when you sneeze or you jump or you burst out laughing or when you're running. Um, so we need to train your pelvic floor muscles to act on their own when you need them to, but also to be able to relax when you don't need them. Um, so as with training and rehabbing all muscle groups, we must move on from voluntary and isolated exercise and train the body in the ways we want to train. So with that being said, I want to be very clear here. Um, there is a difference, right? So what's the difference and what do I mean by no Kegels? I'd like to clarify that there is a difference between a Kegel, which is that conscious active contraction of your pelvic floor um, that's isolated versus making an initial mind to muscle engagement to become aware of our pelvic floor muscles. Um, and intentionally engaging and relaxing your pelvic floor muscles with breathing and movements to retrain its coordination to ultimately become subconscious. So again, there's a place for the latter two, but there is never a place for a Kegel.
So before we kind of move into some of these things, um, tell us a little bit about common things that you find, uh, Natalie, when um, a common problems that you find when people have like prolapse. Great question. It's a, it's a variation. There's so many things and everyone's a little bit different, but what are some of the common things? So when it comes to prolapse, um, again, when it comes to the evaluation, it's not just an internal pelvic floor exam. And so common findings that I see are one, they're not breathing properly again, like they're, I feel like even though we all breathe, we don't actually breathe correctly. We breathe with our chest or we breathe, um, we're belly breathers, right? Um, and so because of that, our rib cage isn't able to fully expand and contract. And so because of that, our diaphragm isn't able to fully contract and relax because the range of motion is restricted. And so like I said earlier, when we're not breathing correctly and our diaphragm isn't moving properly, our pelvic floor also isn't moving because they move together. So if one's not moving, the other one's not going to move. And so what that does is if you lose that range of motion of your pelvic floor, think of your pelvic floor as like a trampoline. Like it should be able to move and, and bend to your pelvic organs and like give support and bounce back when they need to. But if it's not moving, instead of a trampoline, it basically becomes like a concrete slab. And so those pelvic organs are just hitting that concrete slab repeatedly, repeatedly until your pelvic floor just gives up. It's like, I can't do it anymore. And so that's when we can have that prolapse whenever we have an increase in that abdominal pressure. Um, so that's one finding, not breathing properly. Another finding that I find is that our hip range of motion is actually very limited because again, our pelvic floor also has our hip rotator muscles. And so we can be limited in our range of motion there. Um, and so that's just a sign of like, okay, if that's not moving again, our pelvic floor isn't able to move in its full range. Um, and then another common thing that I see with that internal exam is that a lot of the times our pelvic floor muscles are hypertonic as in they're overactive. Cause again, what it should feel like whenever I'm internal, um, it should feel just kind of like the inside of your cheek, like very smooth. Um, and for the patient, it should just feel like a light finger pressure, you know, cause that's all that I'm giving in an internal exam. However, what I've found is that whenever I'm internal, my patients are like, oh, that hurts or like, oh, that's recreating my symptoms of like heaviness or um, recreating even like my low back pain if they have low back pain. Um, and so that's a sign of like, okay, our pelvic floor isn't able to relax right now. Um, so that's another common finding that I see. Um, and then also too, with that coordination, like our, our, core, we're not able to coordinate our core with our breathing and our pelvic floor. Um, and so those are just some common impairments that I see with prolapse. Yeah. All good information. So one thing I can tell you from, from a surgical perspective, and I, and I believe this on just about, you know, any kind of orthopedic injury, including like pelvic floor is that if 
you can avoid surgery, avoid it because you never um, are the same after surgery. And, and really when you go in and you're looking at like people that end up getting slings and, and different things that, that happen that, that doctors do, I don't know a single person that's like, um, happy about it. Usually it gives you more problems down the road. Um, even with like taking body parts out, like taking your uterus out and things like that, if you can avoid it, I would say, you know, do it. You, I mean, it, it's meant there, it's meant to be there for a reason. You end up having to do a lot of hormone replacement type stuff because you've taken some of these out, but, um, I, there's not very many people that, um, when it comes to surgery, especially when it comes to that pelvic floor, that's, um, are happy about it. Usually they're not um, Natalie, would you add anything else? Yeah. So when it comes to the surgery, essentially what happens, especially if you get like a hysterectomy, for example, you take out the uterus, but the problem with that is that the uterus and the bladder and the rectum act to like support each other as well as like be supported from the pelvic floor. Right. So if you take one out, the uterus is the center piece. So then what happens is that your bladder starts drifting downwards and your rectum starts drifting downwards because they don't have the uterus as that support as well. And so what you thought was the answer to your problem is actually causing more problems down the lines because then you're getting the enteroseal or the rectoseal whenever either the bladder or the rectum are coming out. So if you can avoid it, you want to avoid it, but that's, I said mm -hmm. that about everything. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, what did we say during our podcast? The mess, the mesh is a mess or yeah, something? something like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I always like to go through this slide because, um, it's really, really important to kind of understand it. Um, you know, in our medical system, we often treat symptoms and, um, and this is par partly why. So we feel pain in a lot of different ways. Uh, I, you know, originally it was kind of like, like three ways of pain are the main ones, but I've added like neuro pain, um, other categories such autoimmune, chronic stress and emotions. So let's go through some of these things just so you kind of have an understanding of what it is. And because if you pick the wrong category or you're treating the wrong category, that's where a lot of the frustration comes into. And that's when we get, um, yeah, when you're just like treating a symptom. So mechanical pain, thermal pain, and chemical pain, you kind of can clump those all, all together. Um, thermal pain would be like burns and sunburns. So we kind of take those off the plate. Chemical pain would be like that. You have a, um, an injury and it's just that constant achy, um, pain that no matter what you do, you can't change your position and, and make it better or worse because it's just, you have all those chemicals coming in, taking care of it. Um, so you can treat chemicals with chemicals if it really truly is chemical pain, but here's the deal. You have to still figure out like, well, why is it happening? So I'll give you a perfect example. You'll have someone that may have like low grade back pain, um, come to find out they had a kidney infection. There's a lot of chemicals and inflammation. You have that constant irritation. Yes, you can throw pain medications and anti-inflammatories and those kind of things um, towards it and you can feel better, but until you take care of the infection piece of it, you're not going to feel better. You have to get to the source of what's going on. It's the same thing for any other part of our body. So when we look at the mechanics, mechanical pain is the mechanics It's how we operate. It's how our pelvic floor coordinates with everything else. 
Um, that's all mechanical. And those are, are, are when you need to get to someone that is a mechanic of the body to really figure out kind of what's going on for you. You can have nerve pain too, um, which again, still is very mechanical. Um, in the sense of you have something that's pressing up against it. Is it something that can be moved away from it? Um, yes, no, like, you know, these are things that, that can, that can also create pain, but you have these other categories that are autoimmune and we see these, um, all the time, um, where there's symptoms. So when you look at mechanical pain, there's patterns to everything that makes sense because of that, that makes sense. Even when it's like, Oh, that doesn't really make sense, but you still see all these mechanics that are wrong. It's to, and it resolves everything still mechanical. Um, that does happen at times. We're like, wow, that's weird. But this over here is what we need to address. And then all of a sudden, all this over here starts improving and we just, okay, it was mechanical. But when you have autoimmune type stuff, um, a lot of times there's no rhyme or reason. There's no patterns to anything and it doesn't make sense. And they typically come with a lot of bloating, um, abdominal pain, potentially, having a hard time eating like even healthy foods, really bad sleep, energy levels, brain fog. When, when we start realizing that there's like that nothing really makes sense and you start asking some of these other questions, you pretty much know that there's something going on from an autoimmune perspective. And when something like that happens, it is horrific because you can't get any doctor to listen to you. Um, I don't know how many times patients have come in to our office and I'm like, I believe you, I know exactly kind of what's going on. And the doctors dismiss them and, and the sense of like, well, you need a psychologist or um, there's nothing wrong with you because your blood work is normal because they basically compare your blood work with someone that's unhealthy and you're still healthier than the unhealthy people. And you can't, so your blood work will come back normal with a lot of these things. You really have to get to someone that compares it to healthy people. And then you can start making some adjustments there, but it's very frustrating. Um, and we have places that we send people to that, um, do a fantastic job on trying to get the body back into balance, chronic stress and emotional. Like these are like when they're really, there's, there's that chronic pain, um, from that emotional stress that someone's having. So this is not, well, ever so often you'll get someone that comes in and it's like they're all of their, um, um, objective measures, like everything is improving. You can't re recreate their pain at the office anymore, but then all of a sudden they come in and they're like, I still hurt. I'm like, well, okay, let's talk about it. When did this, you know, what, what happened? Oh, well, it's happening at work. Okay. So um, does it happen on the weekends? Nope. Never happens on the weekends. Well, what's going on at work. And then you just start hearing all the emotional stuff that's, that's, that is happening. Um, they'll also often say like, when I go on vacation, I have no pain. I don't have any problems. It just doesn't hurt because when they come back here and they have to deal with everything that's going on here, their body is feeling it and creating it. So there's times when we, this happens a little bit less often. A lot of times, once we figure out what the mechanics and everything are going and we start teaching you how to um, help yourself, essentially, a lot of that like stress of, of like you being out of control um, will start going away. But we do have patients that they don't and we have to have conversations with them and we almost have to get them to someone that actually can kind of deal with what happened a long time ago in their life that is kind of surfacing up right now and their body's feeling it. So these are all different ways that we feel pain and, and we have to really analyze all this, which is what our office does um, to really kind of figure out where you are. And that's probably the biggest thing that sets us apart from anywhere else, because 
you know, doctors, you go in, here's a pill. Okay. Here's surgery. Oh, well, when you get bad enough, let's have surgery. There's no options. They don't give you anything. And oftentimes you can go to other physical therapy and it's just like, they just give you blanketed exercises. Here's some core exercises. Here's this, but there's really not a plan and there's really not an evaluation process to really figure out, well, what's going to be best for you. Um, and that's probably the biggest thing that sets us apart from a lot of other places. Cause we figure out all these pieces. So a big thing that healthcare providers miss um, is they only look at the condition one way. And what do I mean by that? Um, so a lot of times you'll go um, to a doctor and they only look at it in their 10 minute conversation in a way of what kind of pill can I throw at you? And they don't look at anything else or they only go and they say, oh, this is only back pain. And I'm not gonna look at anything else when there can be other sources that can create your back pain, pelvic floor thoracic spine, hips, like there's so many things that we have to look at that can create it, that we have to look at everything. You go to a massage therapist, they only look at the soft tissue again, but why is the tissue tight? You've got to get to the why of everything that we do. You have to get to the why. So if a tissue's tight, why is the tissue tight? Because if we don't figure out why that's happening, then it's just going to happen again. And so we have to look at, look at all of it, or you go to physical therapy and they only look at the strengthening piece of it. And that's all that they look at. And so you have to have um, a multidisciplinary approach where you're looking at everything um, because the body is all connected. And so again, that's one thing that really sets us apart. Running through unnecessary testing that fails to provide any adequate information to develop a game plan. So, you know, the biggest thing is we, in our medical system, we do not have enough time to sit down and figure things out. So they wanna go and send you to testing. Um, and a lot of times the testing doesn't really help us like figure out all the pieces. Um, honestly, you can sit down and have a conversation, which we've lost in the medical system to really start going in. Well, I just asked you this question that ruled that out based off of this question. So that doesn't even make sense. So we, but we have these, these questions. So our questions, when we ask them, it's literally allowing us to rule things in and rule things out to go, okay, now we're going to test you and we're going to decide what part is, is working and what part is not working. And it's almost like we're doing, you're like our experiments, not really our experiment because we know what we're doing, but it's like an experiment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because we're literally going, okay, we've come down to, now we have these two or three things and we've got to go in and rule one in and, and, and rule the other out based on our evaluation process. And so um, a lot of times when you're just getting blood work and you're just getting, you know, you're going to get an image it's not, um, it's not the best way to go. It doesn't always um, give us enough information. Now there's times when it is necessary, um, definitely necessary, but I think, I think testing is overused um, because it's easy, it's fast. You can get out the door. They can go do the test and come back for the results. It's, you know, it can be a five minute conversation versus sitting down and really spending time asking questions. Surgery is not the end all be it all. Surgery does not give you the answers for the conditions. Um, and I, um, don't know a female that said that they were happy with any of their surgeries that they've had it most are worse off literally had a conversation with a patient that, and this is not even pelvic floor related, but it's going to get to my point of they came in, they did one visit and they're like, no, I'm just going to go ahead and have the shoulder surgery. And I'm like, mm. 
I wouldn't do it. I go, because what there's, whatever they're saying, they're fixing. It's because of all this stuff over here. That's not, that's not moving. It's not working correctly. I mean, you're not, your thoracic spine's not moving. Your first ribs, not moving. There's pieces of your neck. That's not moving. And all of that can create issues in that shoulder. And you can go and image someone that has no pain whatsoever. And it's going to show the exact same thing that you're showing. Like 80% of them show that. So like, is that really the problem or is there something else that's going on? Well, he decided to have the surgery, felt great after the surgery. I get a message from him literally like a week ago. And it said, yep, my symptoms are all back. I said, it's another tear. And I'm like, please don't have another surgery. Like I said before, you have all these other things that have to be addressed so that, so that you're not having issues in that shoulder. And so that's, you know, it, it, the more you mess with your body with, from surgery, the worse, the worse off you get later on in life. I can tell you, I had a knee surgery, two knee surgeries. First one needed second one. I did not need it, but I have more problems with my knees than, than any other part of my body. Um, and I wish I never would have had that second surgery, uh, because I think I would have been better off. Um, but I wasn't a physical therapist at the time and, um, I wasn't my own health advocate and I was saying like, I think this is it. And they're like, no, no, that's not it. It can't be possible. And honestly, like if I look back at my critical thinking of there, it probably was exactly what I was saying, but I didn't have anyone that was actually there to listen to me. Kegels are the only thing that you're being told to do and it does not help. So like, if that's what they're telling you to do, you just need to run. It's kind of walk, what I say, walk yeah, out. run, <laughs> run away. It's not going to help you. If that's what they tell you, I say the same thing with people with back pain. If they're going to say, oh, it's just core strengthening, run, run, run. Now is strengthening a piece of it? Absolutely. But it's not, it's not like you have, there's so many other pieces that you have to look at before them. Most doctors have no clue that you can solve the problem naturally for any kind of women's health issues. Most, most, most doctors just don't know. And so we can only, we can see only so many doctors and try to get the educate, but there's so many doctors out there. And so it's one of the biggest reasons why we are constantly putting education pieces out for you guys, because we want you to be educated and in worst case scenario, even if it's like, that's not me, you can even educate someone else um, that, Hey, you, and I know there's many people on this line today that, that like literally tell everyone you've got to go to empower. You've got to go to empower. Please don't do that. Please at least talk to them. So we know it happens, but we just want to, again, provide education so that they have opportunities to listen um, as well. And we have this, this is, is actually recorded. So again, if you know anyone that is having issues, this might be a great option for them to at least just start learning um, because you do not want to go down the path that, that um, these doctors put you down. So some success stories, Natalie, want to share any? Yeah. So, um, while I was, uh, treating public floor in the past, I actually had a patient who had, um, a prolapse and, uh, what was going on with her was she wasn't breathing properly, um, for, to start out with, but also to her ribs. So her actual ribs were not moving. So again, if your ribs aren't moving properly, then you can't fully expand your rib cage and fully contract. So then what's happening? Again, our diaphragm isn't able to move through that full range, which means our pelvic floor isn't able to move through that full range. So we actually worked on her ribs to help improve that diaphragmatic breathing. Um, and that helped a lot. But then 
she was talking to us and she said, yeah, no, like everything feels fine. Like the only time that I feel it is whenever I am, um, finish finishing up at my pottery class and like moving my like pottery stuff from the class back to my car. Um, and so I said, okay, like how much, how much does it weigh? And she said, well, like maybe about 30 pounds or so. So then, I, um, we went down to the gym and I had her like pick up a 30 pound weight and she was walking around and I was looking at her and I was like, are you breathing? And she was like, no, (laughs) no, I'm not. I'm not breathing. I was like, okay. So now that we know that, um, what are we going to do? We're going to breathe. And so sure enough, like we just had her walk like around the gym, carrying the weight and, and breathing and breathing. And she was like, oh yeah, that's so much better. Like, okay. And I was like, all right, perfect. Um, and then I had a patient who was struggling with urge incontinence. Um, and so again, very common theme just with pelvic floor dysfunction in general, always looking at diaphragmatic breathing first. Cause again, like none of us breathe properly and sure enough, she, she wasn't breathing properly, but she also wasn't drinking a lot of water throughout the day because she had it in her mind. I'm always having to go to the bathroom. I just shouldn't drink as much water. And so I told her, I was like, I know it's counterintuitive, but you need to drink more water so that your bladder isn't getting irritated by that concentrated urine. Um, And so we worked on that. We also worked on, again, like pelvic floor relaxation because her pelvic floor was overactive. Um, And so um, we did a lot of internal work with her. But then at the end, um, she was actually able to go to the Taylor Swift concert. And I think that was like a three to three and a half hour concert. And she only had to go to the bathroom one time. And I was like, and she said oh yeah I was drinking like alcohol there too and like eating all the things I was like yes all right perfect um stress incontinence um very similar um with my patient with prolapse um not breathing properly her ribs were actually stuck in the position of like exhalation so it's or not exhalation inhalation. So she had like ribs flared out. And so because of that, like she wasn't breathing properly either. And again, that pelvic floor wasn't able to move as it should. And so I tried, I was just curious. I wanted to see if she could blow up a balloon. And why did I do that? I do that because it requires coordination with our breathing and our, our abdominal muscles, our core. And so again, if we're having to blow up a balloon, our intra-abdominal pressure should be going up and out into that balloon rather than down and in toward our pelvic floor. But when she tried blowing up the balloon, she couldn't do it. She couldn't do it because she wasn't getting that full breath in. Um, and so with her, like we worked on the rib mobility, um, and the breathing, um, and then coordinating that strength component with the blowing up a balloon. Um, and that was able to resolve her stress incontinence as well, which I was, yeah, I was like, okay, blowing up a balloon is going to be one of your exercises. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, those are just a couple examples. So the biggest thing you can take from this is that um, Kegels does not fix fix women's health problems. Most of the time, no one gets the source of your problem and why it's happening. 
surgeries don't help in guiding treatment or resolving women's health issues. Please, 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 please see a specialist to help you figure out um, where the source is coming from for you. And just really want to give you hope that you can get back to living and life and doing all the things that you want to be able, be able to do. Um, we see it all the time in our office and it's like the most rewarding piece um, of why you, be, why I became a physical therapist. No, why most of us became a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. So there should be an email coming into your inbox. If you don't get it, like reach out to us. Um, so if all those that showed up for the talk, if you guys are interested in doing kind of a pelvic floor assessment, just sitting down, talking with Natalie, learning a little bit more, um, more details about what's going on with you to where we can be like, oh yeah, these are the things that we would look at. Um, you can do that. And then if you book anything in the next 15 days for an evaluation, we'll take a hundred dollars off. Um, for that pelvic floor evaluation. So that's something that we have for you guys. And you should also get that in your inbox. Um, So if you want, I mean, you can always just text us and say, yes, um, can I please um, book the the free pelvic floor assessment? We'll, we'll, We'll take care of you. And then also... You know, if you know anyone suffering with anything that we've talked about, um, this is how we can get education out to people so that they don't go down these bad paths. Please share this with them. This is going to be on YouTube. Even if you're like, I need that talk. I found someone. I'm going to share it with them. You can even text us at the office and we will personally give you the link to where you can share this this with them. Um, And so one of the big things that we have at our office that um, most people may know about, we've been doing it for the last three years, that um, anyone that you refer to us and they decide to come in and they get treatment, actual treatment, um, then you will get a free physical therapy visit. Um, on top of that, you'll get in our bucket and that happens at the end of the year where you'll, there's a thousand up to a thousand dollar gift. We, we tailor it to whoever, whoever, whatever name we, we pull out, we tailor something to you got to that specific person, or they can do five, five, PT free PT visits. Um, and so that gets in the bucket and we do those drawings in December. So, um, it's a big thank you for always thinking of us and referring people to us. But again, if you know anyone suffering with anything like this, like, Oh my gosh, you have got to hear this information. Can I please just ask for permission? Can I please send you a video? Because I think you'd be interested in learning about, um, about this, um, naturally and rarely do people say no, and then we can get the link to them. So that's one thing. I'm going to share that. And then also um, we have our Black Friday sales coming up. We do this every year. They are our biggest, our biggest sale of the year starts November the 19th. It's um, next month. Um, we have our um, offer packages and we do all, we'll do six, um, eight, 10 and 12 visit packages where you'll get a pretty, our biggest discount. So I think it's anywhere between um, I can't remember the numbers, 400 to $800 off, depending on like which package um, that you pick. Don't quote me on that. I know I had it all calculated, but I, I <laughs> it's not in front of me. But that is something that's happening um, this um, coming up in November. So um, be aware of that. Um, we have people that buy packages, um, even if they're not, they don't need therapy right now. They will buy a package so that they can use it whenever they want to use it because they, the visits never go away. So um, we'll have people to buy them and then they'll just use them as needed um, or that I know I'm going to need this taken care of. I'm going to buy it. So I'm going to use it when I want to use it or that they'll use them now and they come in monthly for like tune-ups and things like that. So there's a lot of ways that people use that. So I'm going to stop the recording and um, t- take questions. Hey y'all, I'm Catherine, Client Relations Manager 
of Empower Physical Therapy. If you have any questions on any of our topics or want additional information, click on the link below. We will get the information to one of our specialists and get back to you soon.